Hey guys, what's up? It is week 115. Let's start this out with some corrections. I said that John Williams scored Platoon for some reason or did some of the music. That is completely inaccurate and uh, false. So sorry about that. Let's hop into the reviews. Let's start out because we got a bunch here. Uh, we got Weird Science from 1985. This is the new Arrow release. Really cool uh, slipcover there. Nice and glossy. So um, let's hop into this. This was made in 1985 by legendary director John Hughes. Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. So, you know, St. Elmo's Fire. Did he do St. Elmo's Fire? I know it's the Brat Pack, but regardless. So I know Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, and what's the 16 Candles. So uh, he also wrote on Home Alone and stuff like that. John Hughes is a huge name. He's pretty much a cult director at this point, one of the biggest from the 80s. And I must admit... I'm not the world's biggest John Hughes fan. Not, I don't dislike his movies. I just never uh, connected to him like everybody loves Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club is not one of my favorite movies. I, I, I appreciate it and understand it. Uh, Weird Science is definitely something uh, way up my alley, more than The Breakfast Club. Weird Science is a bonkers movie, and it's one of these things that I've only seen on television, to be honest. This new release looked damn good, and it includes two versions, actually three versions, the theatrical, the extended, it has two scenes that are kind of elongated in the beginning of the movie, of them in the kitchen, and them watching and talking about horror movies, which is cool, and um, the TV edited version. It stars Anthony Michael Hall, and uh, the other actor's not so much known, he really is kind of known for this movie. Uh, it also has appearances by, um, geez, I can't, um, Michael Berryman, Vernon Wells, uh, the guy from Great Outdoors and Night Warning, who was struck by lightning in Great Outdoor Outdoors 66 times. He plays one of the kids' dads. He's brilliant in this movie. Um, and of course, uh, supermodel, a gorgeous lady. I can't, I can't believe her name. I completely blank in my head. That's crazy. But uh, this is a Frankenstein story. It's a super weird movie. It's zany and 80s all over. These two young kids. You remember in the 80s when all the computers just did nonsense things that they don't do or they predicted? And even good movies and great movies and intelligent movies. Like the thing. They're like, uh, Wilford Brimley's watching how the thing will, you know, uh, you know, multiply on the computer. It's like computers don't work really like that. And all sorts of all movies. Every movie involving technology from the 80s is completely false. And it's kind of hilarious to watch. So these two kind of dorks that don't get along with any girls. They get picked on by... Um, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and his buddy, who's the guy from uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, uh, they end up kind of wanting making the perfect girl on the computer, and this giant electrical crazy storm that tears up the neighborhood, brings this girl into reality. She's smart, she's attractive, and she's definitely over the age of 18, and these kids are like 15, and this weird kind of pedophile story goes on, but it's the woman they made from their minds, so it's weird and really blurry. Uh, you know, here comes the you know lame line that every movie reviewer or movie critic or movie fan says nowadays that I say a million times to every episode, this couldn't get made today, but yes, it probably would not get made today. That that layer, this would be much darker. So Anthony Michael Hall and his friend, you know, take her out uh, on a night on the town, and there's a little small cameo by Steve James. I don't even know if it's a cameo. By Steve James in this bar. They go to this kind of African-American, uh, you know, uh, city bar where it has like a mixed race. There's a lot of different, you know, Greek guys in there and stuff like that. And Anthony Michael Hall does one of the most cringeworthy scenes in the whole movie. He starts to, you know, get drunk and he starts to kind of relate and starts to talk in a stereotypical, you know, like inner city voice. And during this whole scene, like I, like I said, I'd seen this on television. I didn't remember much of it, to be honest. And I just cringed during this whole scene. And it's so dated. I know the audience back then ate it up, but it's so dated and so embarrassing. It's cringe stuff. But besides that, um, 
there's some really fun stuff in here and good gags. Um, Bill Paxton plays the older brother of uh, the one, I can't think of the actor's name, but he's constantly being picked on and Bill Paxton's like this jarhead and belching and just being an overall doofus. Um, the movie does these crazy wild special effects with monsters and weird stuff like that where uh, Bill Paxton's turned into a toad. It looks great. It's brilliant. I, I laughed quite a bit. It's so 80s and fantasy and weird and pretty much inappropriate all at the same time. But very enjoyable. Uh, the music gets stuck in your head. Uh, the crazy zany things that happen when the machine is turned on all around the town are just really, really fun. Uh, like I said, the um, the uh, one uh, Anthony Michael Hall's dad is such a jerk. And, jeez, uh, I can't think of her name in the movie. But the, the woman they create has all these magical powers. So she basically erases the memory of uh, Anthony Michael Hall's dad. So they will no longer be mad at him because she mouse offed him, whatever. But he, like I said, he's this character actors in a bunch of stuff. And he loses his memory. And throughout the entire movie, there's this running gag where he's talking with his wife where he can't remember his own son's name. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's just so funny. And it just feels like, honestly, him, he feels like a character that is like Al Bundy or something like that. And just a complete, <laughs> he's just a doofus, but he's great. Um, very funny movie. Uh, very memorable. I love Berryman and Vernon Wells pop up at the end as these mutant bikers. Uh, it's just cool stuff. Um, there's the archival stuff. A lot of that's ported over. It has Anthony Michael Hall in there, but there's some new stuff in here with the casting director and the special effects guy. And uh, the, he talks about making the toad creature on um, Bill Paxton and putting him under plaster and how he kind of freaked out about the whole thing. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. Um, and then the casting director talks about how everything lined up and all the people got, uh, you know, in this movie and everything like that. Oh, I almost forgot Suzanne Snyder's in here. And I don't want to not talk about Suzanne Snyder because when I did Night of the Creeps last week, she has a brief role in that and I didn't mention her. And Suzanne Snyder is one of these actresses who ended up appearing in a bunch of really good 80s movies and you don't really register she's in all these movies until you think about it and you're like, oh, she's the lead in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. She's also in Return of Living Dead Part 2, which I love her in that. She's in Weird Science. She's in Night of the Creeps. She's got some four four big 80s ones that are very watchable cult movies, so that's really nice. Um, I don't know if Return of the Dead Part 2 is really a cult movie. To me, it is. I love it. So, you know, this is a nice release loaded with features with a nice slip cover. So if you're looking for the upgrade and you love this movie, I would upgrade. I don't know if you have the old edition, if it's going to be good enough for you, but it's a cool upgrade from uh, Arrow Video of a cult classic movie that I, I wish I would have watched more when I was younger. Like I said, I only caught it on television and uh, rewatching it. There was a couple, you know, dated, cringy parts, but for the most part, it's a vastly enjoyable movie. And if you saw this young, I'm sure you're in love with it. So that is Weird Science. Weird Science. And then he just said, all right, enough of that. I'm just going to make a movie where my it takes over. Uh, and I sort of appreciated that. 
Um, you gotta, you know, you gotta let it out. And he did. so good. Universal Pictures presents a John Hughes film, Weird Science. It's purely sexual. Hey, that looks pretty good. Now make yourself one, dickweed. <laughs> Okay, the next one is a strange one. This is from Arrow Academy, and this is actually directed by Carol Reed, um, who did uh, a lot of big movies like The Third Man, which um, I actually haven't seen, which is terrible. This is might be my first, uh, I think, film I've seen by Carol Reed. He's a classic director, like I said, so you got to start somewhere. This is not one of his more popular films. This is The Running Man, uh, made in 1963, not to be confused with the Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, of course, with the same name. Uh, completely different plots. Lawrence Harvey is this guy. He's kind of a small-time, he flies uh, planes, small-time pilot, back and forth. He has a terrible accident. Well, in the beginning of the movie, he is uh, he's dead. And his wife, Lee Remick, is at very, uh, you know, sad, and uh, there's a funeral, and all the people are leaving her, and then an insurance agent comes over, named, played by Alan Bates, uh, who's in a bunch of stuff, The Shout, um, Gosford Park, so... He comes over and he's an insurance guy and he starts asking her questions and leaves and he it, it, there's some little tension between them and he says something really dumb about him you're you know you're lucky because this insurance claim was just filed a couple of weeks ago come to find out Lawrence Harvey isn't dead he comes by it was a whole big insurance scam they kind of go on the run they have a like elaborate plan to end up in I believe Spain so and uh, lo and behold Alan Bates is also vacationing in Spain Lee uh, Lawrence Harvey has taken on this fake Australian accent and a lot of people complain about this movie is his Australian accent sounds terribly fake. Yes, because he's a British guy. Uh, he's an actor who's acting like he's Australian. So his accent goes in and out and you, you're wondering, does Alan Bates know all this all the time? Is he playing dumb? To Is he actually attracted to Lee Remick? Uh, I guess he knows his, the wife's dead. He doesn't know how Lawrence Harvey looks. So it creates a lot of suspense in this movie. And I was on the edge of my seat a lot of it. Uh, Lawrence Harvey's character changes dramatically. He is such a brick and you get mad at him when he makes stupid mistakes or when he gets sloppy when he gets drunk when he just starts to become a completely different person when he has the money the insurance money and his wife sometimes she does stupid things too and you really just want to strangle both of them because for some reason you don't want them to get caught even though Lawrence Harvey deserves a hundred percent to get caught Alan Bates is the most likable character in the movie and he has a question mark above his head too there's a lot of you know deceit but when everything comes out you know and, and everything, it has a nice ending and it's just kind of desserts in a lot of ways. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a well-constructed movie. Uh, I thought it was shot wonderful. It was shot in a nice location. That helps pretty much, you know, throughout the movie. And I thought the acting was good. I know that behind the scenes they said that Lawrence Harvey and Lee Remick really didn't have good chemistry. They really didn't get along. And Alan Bates got along more so with Lawrence Harvey and everything like that. And Lee Remick didn't have a problem with uh, him as well. But, you know, Lawrence Harvey and her kind of clashed a little bit. Um... 
the, the interviews are with, I think, a script supervisor and maybe an assistant director or somebody. So he talks about, you know, the camera work and everything in this, the cameraman. So there seem to be a little let down by the end product, but this is my first experience with Carol Reed. So I don't have that, like, you know, huge, like, expectation. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was well made, well shot. Uh, you know, it was nice to see Made in 63 and, and be, like, such a suspenseful movie at the same time. Uh, and Alan Bates looks so young. Uh, good stuff, you know. I, I would recommend checking it out if you like these kind of things. Uh, interesting movie. There's some flashbacks. And, you know, Lawrence Harvey at, at, at points is sympathetic, but later on you're just like, I want to punch him in his face. So it's a nice change for him. And uh, his Australian accent is terrible, but I think that's kind of the point. But, uh, you know, it's fun to kind of think, is Alan Bates a moron or is he really super clever? And, you know, throughout the whole movie. So it's a lot, it keeps you guessing, although maybe it, it does go on a little little too long, but it will keep you on the edge of your seat. I'm afraid uh, it's not very tidy. Uh, I had a few people here after the service. The service? Uh, for Rex, my husband. Oh, I didn't know. Perhaps I ought to leave you. No, no, no. I, I just as soon get it over. Please sit down. The head office thought it might be as well if we had a little personal chat. Oh, well, they did? Not that they're worried about anything in particular, but this isn't the usual type of claim. I'm sure you appreciate that. No, I suppose not. Not exactly run-of-the-mill. Can we put it that way? If you like. I mean, they never actually found the body, did they? No. The Coast Guard says he had the glider under observation before it actually hit the sea and that it broke up very soon afterwards. Now, presumably, the body was washed away. But you've heard all this before. Yes, I know it by heart. You can't think of any reason why he should want to end his life? Rex? No, he loved life. You could ask anyone. I see there was an earlier claim on an insurance for a Dove aeroplane that your husband took out for charter flying. That was last year? Yes. Uh, the, the plane was written off totally. Does that mean he was out of a job? Well, in a way, yes. Did you find him moody, uh, difficult to live with? I'm sorry, I have to ask you this. Oh, no, no. He, he was quite happy. He began to write books. Oh. What sort of things? Thrillers? Yes, as a matter of fact. Well, there's money in that, I suppose. Oh, uh, Rex never made much money while he was alive. Uh, would you sign this? What is it? Uh, just a simple declaration, but to your knowledge, your husband never said anything to you about suicide. Oh, I can sign that. I see this uh, insurance was made 
only three months before your husband was lost. Does that matter? No, no, I just meant it was lucky. Lucky? Well, I mean, you're young. You'll be very well off. You have a new life ahead of you, Mrs. Black. Well, if you don't think, I'd, I'd give every penny of that insurance to have him back. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. Mr. Uh, Maddox, uh, how long will all this take? I, uh, I want to go abroad. Uh, I, I want to get away from, from this flat and everyone we knew. Well, there, there shouldn't be any delays from us. Okay, this next one is from Artsploitation Films, and this is a Norwegian flick. You know, Artsploitation releases weird art exploitation movies from all around the world. Uh, the House. This is actually strange for me because this is directed by a guy who usually does, you know, like exploitation, modern exploitation movies. He did horror and inside horror, and he did one that I reviewed called Christmas Blood, which I didn't particularly care for. But The House. Uh, this is a weird one. Uh, but it's very typical, but it's like a typical story told in an untypical time. We have these two Nazis who have a Norwegian soldier, uh, you know, prisoner, and they end up staying at this kind of strange, you know, isolated house. It seems to be towards the end of the war. One of the Nazis is more, you know, pro-Nazi. And the other one's kind of like been through all of it. And he sees the, the bullshit and everything. He's a little older. He's the commanding officer. And so they start to stay at this house and try to keep warm. When they walk in, immediately it's strange. You, you know where this is kind of going. It's called the house. And they seem to be caught in some sort of circular kind of weird possession ghost story deal. And that's the story. Um, they do build a couple really suspenseful moments in here that were decent. I, I was like, oh, this is kind of spooky, kind of creepy at times. It is repetitive, but it, like I said, it's a circular story. So I thought that it was drained of a lot of color, similar to Christmas Blood, where, you know, you know the location's beautiful, and you know the camera work might be pretty good, but it's so dark, and it's, sad, you know, really just kind of muted. All the colors are very muted, and they do that with this. You know, both these movies take place in winter. Both of them are supposed to be cold. Both of them are supposed to have that kind of, you know you know, look to them. I don't like the look personally. I know a lot of movies do and it's nothing, it's nothing a, a hit on the movie. I don't like how it looks. I think it's a little too dark and I, I, I think maybe in Blu-ray it would look a little better, but in DVD, a lot of the blacks are too blacks and you miss some things. Um, the idea is unique to mix these things and I like the idea of making more horror movies taking place during World War II, even though it's, you know, a very small cast and an isolated thing. There is a twist in here, which I think is worth watching actually. Um, and I, I think it's a weird, complete step in a different direction for this director. When I watched Christmas Blood, I was like, I, this isn't for me. You know, a lot of people will dig it. And I do usually like this kind of stuff. And Christmas Blood and The House couldn't be more different. So it's like this director has the chops to do different things. And that's impressive to me. On the um, uh, this, there's a, he talk, there's a, I think there's a short on here, which I, I remember watching, but I don't remember much about it. And uh, a little documentary about the director where he talks about all four movies he directed and everything getting made and how this one got made. And that's really interesting as well. I do think I do have Hora somewhere around here. It's like a rape revenge movie. It was his first one. H-O-R-A translation translation to whore. I, I don't know if I have his next one, but you know, I, I'm actually interested in checking those out because he said in, in uh, Scandinavia or in Norway, people don't make trash movies and that's kind of what he was doing uh, early in his career. So when he went to do this kind of like uh, ghost story that was made on a budget, it was interesting and it had a nice location. It was well acted to be honest with the three three characters pretty much driving the whole movie and I, I think if you like ghost stories you could do much worse it's not perfect like I said but I'm not the biggest ghost story fan for modern ghost stories I mean I like the changeling and stuff but who doesn't the shining those are classics so um you know a lot of the other ones that are lesser known I'm not huge on 
But this one I think is worth checking out if you're into this kind of stuff. Han var en mann drapet fra begynnelsen av, og står ikke i sannheten, for sannhet er ikke i ham. Og når han taler løgn, taler han sitt eget, for han er løgn og løgnens far. Lise, hører du meg? Okay, this next one I originally was made like I think a decade ago, but this is The Last Rites of the Dead, a.k.a. Zombies Anonymous. I know a lot of you guys probably saw it under the title Zombies Anonymous. I think it was released by Wellgo. Uh, maybe, I think it was Wellgo. Been years uh, since that release. That was made in like 2006. It's by a director named uh, Mark uh, Frado. He also did a movie called Hellfire, which I remember watching, which I thought was really fun. And uh, Zombies Anonymous I thought was really cool. Unfortunately, that release was cut to shreds, if I remember correctly. The original was uh, Last Rites of Living Dead, and it ran about... Um close to an hour and 40 minutes or something around that 45 minutes, which was a little too long for an independent movie. So when they released it here, it was cut down to like 80 something minutes. This release right here is actually the 95, 94 minute version of the director's, you know, a re-release. So it's right in the middle. So when I put this in, I was interested. I always thought there's a lot of zombie movies out there. I know people hate zombie movies, okay? But there's a lot of zombie movies out there that don't really get... Um, the love they deserve when uh, people keep focusing on a lot of the classics as they should, because I mean, nothing's better than George Romero, right? But this one is a very interesting movie and uh, it actually has gotten better with age, I think, which is crazy to say. I enjoyed it when it came out. I thought it was really unique and I would say unique in the same vein as something like Shattered Dead by Scooter McCrane, which is a completely unique zombie movie that uh, doesn't get enough love either. Both of these are very low budget, but um, this one, uh, Last Rites of the Living Dead, falls. people just all of a sudden, when they die, they come back, but they retain their memories. They're not you know, flesh-eating, brainless ghouls necessarily. They are flesh-eating, but you don't find that out exactly until later, but they're not brainless, so um, immediately people start to hate on the living dead. They're taking our jobs. They're dead. They belong dead. They're gross. They're worthless. You know, you could take this as an allegory for what's going on now, how a lot of people feel. And, and then pretty much you start to realize there's these two extreme groups from the, the zombies and from the people that hate the zombies. So it's almost like a left versus right extremist versus extremist groups coming on here. And you're just like, yes, this works perfectly right now because there's so much, you know, political separation and hatred right now going on. So I was like, Last Rites of the Living Dead or the Last Rites, of, yeah, it's Last Rites of the Dead actually um, resonates just as much as it did back in 2006, more so, I think, even. Uh, so it's funny, you know, a lot of these B-movies can actually um, press issues 
more intelligently or more accurately than some of the big ones. So uh, this follows a story of this kind of, I guess, this, this really abusive boyfriend. He ends up killing his girlfriend. His girlfriend doesn't want to be dead. She, she, you know, tries to hide it, go to work, and she starts to see her boyfriend around, and he's in this this militia that goes around and kills the zombies uh, with the crazy extremist, and, and pretty much this other group of zombies. She goes to the Zombies Anonymous group where they are say, I'm, mortal, I'm morbidly in, uh, impaired. Uh, it, it's a very dark comedy as well. There's so much good humor in here and stuff like that um, where they, you know, they, the things that they say about in the, in the help group is great. Lots of good jokes. And stuff like that, like smart humor too, smart and funny and just uh, true. It feels true, like it would be. Um, so these two groups, of course, are going to meet up. There's a group of zombies too that are not just going to lay down. Think of Magneto and the mutants that they're just tired of being beaten for no reason. They're tired of being, you know, taken advantage of. They're going to stand up, and they realize that flesh makes them feel better. So, of course, we have these two groups, they fight, but the zombies have an advantage because they can't really be killed unless they're completely decimated. There's this really awful scene where uh, some zombies that aren't in the, in the uh, you know, the extreme group are taken advantage of and their heads are chopped off and they put them on pikes and you could still see their heads, their eyes moving and everything like that. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that was actually cut shorter in the Zombies Anonymous cut. And the last, the original cut, the, the hour 40, I remember being longer. This one, I remember seeing some of the eyes moving and stuff again. So I was like, that is an improvement because that, that seems very powerful. And the action's good. There's lots of fight scenes in here, which is great. And uh, the boyfriend, is such a douchebag, but you can actually buy him as a character in this movie. I actually really love this movie, if you can't tell. I think it's it's way smarter than it has any right to be, way funnier than it has any right to be. It's gory, it has tons of action, it's just an intelligent movie, and you know, the lead is like caught between these groups of you just you know, insanity. Like, and I feel like this director is saying a lot of things in that, that this is like crazy extremist groups, but you see like how some of them, you, you, at points you're like, I can agree with some of that. I can agree with some of that. And, uh, it's, it's just a great movie. Um, action's fun. It just ends in a, in a gore fest too. Just good independent filmmaking. And it, it feels like it would come out in the nineties, like, uh, the shot on video stuff, like, you know, that was a little bit like Eric Stanzi or something like that, that, that kind of like more funny than Eric Stanzi, but still like, I want to say transgressive cinema in, a, in some ways. I just, I don't know. It, it, it's just really cool stuff, and I'd recommend highly checking it out. On here, he has a short that says, Don't Feed the Trolls. Again, uh, you know, this guy has his finger on the pulse of, you know, a lot of things that are going on today. It's about this jerk that just trolls everybody, and he tells this uh, woman to kill herself and then calls her an N-word, and basically this, uh, you know, everybody finds out he gets doxxed, and he goes mad, and you don't really know what's going on. Is it in his head? And there's this weird troll thing going on who's a, it's really fun and very entertaining um recommend checking this one out there is a blu-ray release of it but it's a bit on the pricey side i would definitely check out the dvd if you get a chance zombies anonymous i would kind of avoid that cut because it's still impactful but i remember being a little like confused like there's so much missing to this and like um in the in this cut there's more with the characters and the other cut there's even more like the commandant who's the main the main bad like the two sides the commandant we have this like extremist who wants to kill all the zombies and then the other side we have this like almost like hippie lady who's in the drugs and she's like we need to like you know kill the living and everything we deserve to take over the world you know and eventually everybody's going to be on our side anyway so i love this movie it's just an independent treasure if you can get past the budget i think you'll enjoy yourself and if you like zombie movies or even if you don't like zombie movies give this one a chance my name is angela and i'm 
mortally challenged. I think you need a hug. Oh, no, that's okay. No, no, that's, that's fine, really. How do you like being a zombie? Don't use that word. That's what I am, undead and proud. I think it sucks. What's your benign? I used to be a vegetarian. A zombie vegetarian, that's funny. But you did start eating meat. I told you about my ex-girlfriend Angela, right? She's one of them. She's a zombie? Everybody's out there fighting for the rights of these dumb rotten corpses. Who's on our side, man? Stay out of our neighborhood. Man, if they let us in their army, that's it. Full-time zombie hunters, man. I met Mel and the twins here, okay? And they introduced me to a whole new way of thinking. You're a zombie! Now start acting like one and rip her butts out! When the Commandant put together this whole army, I want to be a part of it. I need men in my army, not a bunch of frat boys. How can you win against an army of the dead? We are his disciples, risen from the dead, like Jesus himself. The original zombie man. Okay, the next one is from Vinegar Syndrome, and uh, I had had the DVD of this for a long time. It is The Children from 1980. Yes. Um, I had this Blu-ray sitting here, too, and I decided to pop it in. Uh, okay, I've always wanted to watch this movie. I love zombie movies, as you guys can tell, and especially weird zombie movies, and that is this one. Uh, this has this small town. Uh, the kids in the school bus on the way home get hit with a radioactive cloud, and they turn into these weird zombies that have black fingernails that touch you, and it disintegrates them. It only affects children, and the kids start to go home to their parents, to other people of the town, this very small town, and they hug them, they touch them, they kill them, and they seem to be brainless almost, like, Mommy, Daddy, and they just go and, and it's just like it plays on that placates on that fear of like you know just is what you would do right when you've seen your kids after not seeing them for me oh you my kids because they're missing and everything so that's really a great setup and a concept um this movie has balls it, it kills kids it, it kills people you don't expect it's pretty cruel even though it is kind of like a silly concept and i don't want to say it's a silly movie because it's not it's played straight and it goes places that a lot of other movies wouldn't go the main characters in this movie are you know a husband who has a pregnant wife and the sheriff they're pretty much the the couple they're trying to figure out everything that's going on there is a small role by a guy uh bennings from the the thing he's in this he's in some brian de palma's earlier stuff too character actor and a bunch of stuff i i noticed him right away i was like hey um bennings 
So, yeah, uh, those are pretty much the only actor I noticed right off the bat in this one. I don't really, I'm not too familiar with the rest of them. Um, the acting's, you know, okay. It's not perfect. It is, feels like, it feels a very regional movie. Uh, it was shot, I think, in New England is where they located that, so it has a small town feel. Like, this town is isolated. The phones go out, of course, and this kind of thing. And it's just the kids picking out everybody uh, around the town. It does get a little repetitive because they're doing the same thing. A lot of the deaths are the same. The effects are pretty good when they actually show the bodies all melted and everything like that um but the end is a siege movie it turns into a siege movie and it goes really dark and uh i like that i think that the movie had a lot of guts and the end uh, tracking shot right before the end where they go around and show all the mayhem and murder they didn't have a lot of money you can tell to do a lot of the special effects but the way they frame it and shoot it with the girl having her head stick out here and then a fake arm there it's just like that was smart that was clever um and, and they use their budget fairly well uh like I said, it has a nice little small town feel with uh, likable characters that feel fairly realistic, although they do seem a little strange, uh, except, you know, the couple that are, you know, lifting weights and smoking weed right in front of the cop. Not necessarily the most realistic people, uh, but they're supposed to be kind of, you know, eh, sucky. No, you're not supposed to care for them too much. That, that's a scene where they kind of, you know, shoehorn some nudity in there. Um, Manfredi did the score from Friday the 13th, so it's got a nice little score. It's an overall solid little horror movie. On the disc, there are some interviews with, I think, I think the producer there's a commentary with the director he seems to remember a lot even though he tends to go do the scene like well this is happening now and this is happening and that's supposed to be this but he does remember a lot of the making of the film which is nice as well it looks really good when they get it from the negative although the negative i think was a little damaged so they had to take some from some other prints that doesn't look as good it looks a little bit more you know uh yellow i guess i'll say maybe not even yellow like just a yeah a little bit more yellow or reddish or something like that but the actual negative footage looks great it's not too distracting uh I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was pretty solid. Um, like it. Not as good as a child, but still pretty good. What's up, Billy? I just found the school bus about a hundred yards from the Google place. Motor's still running. No Fred, no kids. Is your brother home from school yet? Paul? No, he isn't home yet. Cut it out. What's the matter with you, Paul? Stop it! I said to stop it! <gasps> Mommy! Ellen! Don't touch him. What the hell happened to him? Let's go. I want to get Dr. Gould up here right now. Wait a minute, Gould. How the hell could that have happened to him?
Okay, the next one is also from Vinegar Syndrome, and this is Hellmaster from 1993, man. I had this DVD. I had this VHS. It was released by AIP Studios, and it was definitely the cash-in on Hellraiser. The guy had the razors on, the cuts on his face, and it was Hellmaster. It's kind of like, uh, you'd be like, huh, is this a, Hel- a Hellraiser spinoff when you were a kid? I always thought it might have been when I was very young. Okay, Hellmaster, starring David M. Gee from Dawn of the Dead and John Saxton from Everything. Nightmare on Elm Street, Cannibal Apocalypse, uh, just uh, tons of stuff. Love John Saxon. Big fan. So this movie is everything in the kitchen sink approach. Um, The concept is really great, but they try to shove too much in here so it kind of muddles the whole storyline. This movie on paper is something that I would be like, five stars, gotta see it, love the concept, everything about it. The DP on this movie actually went on to do American Horror Story, he did the, and stuff like that, so it's shot wonderful. It looks great. It's actually one of the best looking, like, regional kind of low-budget horror movies I've seen. Um, the camera works great, um, the shots are great, everything is composed really well. Uh, John Saxon, solid as always, he delivers the goods, he plays this kind of cult leader who doesn't believe in God, he loves Nietzsche. He loves Nietzsche, so he's always like, God is dead. He's ridiculous, but he, he carries his own. It's John freaking Saxon. He always does a good job. David M. Gee is okay in it. Everyone else, I, I hate to do this. I really hate to do this. The acting really hurts this movie. Without, I mean, David M. Gee's not perfect, but he's solid. He's okay in this. I, he's great in Dawn of the Dead, but he's okay in this. Um, Saxton, again, the best part as, as far as the acting is concerned. But the acting, besides that, is really really bad. The dialogue is not great. The dialogue is pretty poor, and the acting's really poor. The storyline is very strange and weird, and I uh, I don't even know how to begin to explain this. This is kind of like a, a college where everybody's partially psychic or something like that. They're supposed to be you know, an intelligence school, maybe being combed for the FBI and stuff, the CIA, NSA, stuff like that. So they have this possible psychic thing going on. So there's that storyline with the lead character. She kind of has maybe a possible psychic thing. There's some other people around, a guy on crutches, some other characters that just pop in to get killed. And years ago, what happened was John Saxon uh, worked at this school. He knew one of the professors, and he started this weird cult where he took homeless people in and got them hooked on this drug. Love that concept right there. Reminds me a little bit of Ozone by J.R. Bookwalter, where they have that new street drug, Ozone, messes them up, starts creates this weird cult, or something like The Rage by Robert Kurtzman, So, which is also kind of a failure failure of a movie with a great concept so this one right here so he makes these bums and he gives them this medicine and he creates his own little family unit and they're all deformed and they have these physical marks on their face and they get a reward 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 every time they do something awful um they get the drug so john saxon comes back to this and he i don't even really know what his motivations are to cause chaos to create uh to finish the experiments i don't really know to be ridiculous because that's pretty much what he's doing but so he comes through and there's also the storyline where the lead character is kind of a humanitarian and she stands up to this bully who's like, ah, I hate people, yada, yada, whatever. And uh, John Saxton is so anti, you know, God, no God. And she kind of has a religious thing to her and this, you know, this love for humanity a little bit in her. And they try to do that at the end. It, it's very kind of doesn't work. So they have all these possible things going on in storylines. And um, I love the concept of these these mutants running around. John Saxon having this cult using drugs, using mind manipulation to control them and killing everything. It, it sounds really good on paper. It looks really 
really good too. Like I said, um, they drive the school bus from hell and has the cross on the front. So many good things. There's too many off-screen deaths. So um, when the gore is there, it's not bad. It's decent. There's some. There's a, there's enough kills. Too many are off-screen, but when they show the kills, they're not horrible. They're decent. Acting's so bad though, it distracts. And the plot is very muddled. And listening to the commentary, I don't think the director would tell you different. I, I know that he has some. He knows there's shortcomings with the movie, and he admits he's not the best dialogue writer. So th- this movie could easily have been fixed. This is a perfect candidate to remake. To be honest, it has some cool things going for it. I love groups of monsters and like family unit monsters. See Nightbreed, see Neon Maniacs, the Rage. I wanted to love, you know, stuff like that. So this is also shot in an insane asylum. So it has that feeling, you know, in the background, you're like, this could actually be potentially dangerous for these people. I love that. I love that, you know, an active insane asylum. So, you know, it also has an interview with the DP on the disc and he talks about, you know, the Vinegar Syndrome is important and it is important to release these kind of movies. I don't regret watching this at all. I don't regret revisiting it. It looks spectacular and it, it, gives you ideas and it shows you where some of these people could come from. And I don't like it. It's not a good movie, but I appreciate a lot of things about it. Like I said, it looks really good. I love the concept. I just wish it's one of these movies that should be really good. And there's a nice little shout out to Dawn of the Dead in the beginning when David M. Gee goes into like the pit and it's a flashback and he sees like the homeless people before they're completely transformed. And it definitely has that Dawn of the Dead when Peter and uh, Roger go into the, uh, you know, the pit where they throw all the dead people and, and where they kick their loved ones and they're all wrapped in sheets. It reminds me of that a little bit. I would, um, recommend maybe checking out the trailer and looking into this a little bit and seeing if you'll enjoy it. But if, you know, what I said interests you, which it probably does if you're watching this, uh, but, you know, like I said, take it. It's 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 not a great movie. It does get grating at times because of the acting and the characters are just like, eh. But, you know, it's Hellmaster. It is what it is. And I, I got to give love because it's shot in Michigan, and I'm right next to Michigan. So I have that, you know, that love a little bit for those, you know, I guess I say those are my, my state's area, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania. That's kind of Indiana. So when they're shot in that area, I'm kind of a little bit more, you know, forgiving too at the same time. But it's not a, it's not a great film. But it, I, I can't give it a recommendation. But hey, you know, check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. John Saxon, star of Death House and Nightmare on Elm Street. Stars in Hellmaster. Terror looms at a cryptic college campus when a genius professor, presumed killed in a research experiment, returns to his alma mater for revenge. People say they used experimental drugs on the students to develop their minds back then. This magnet performs unspeakable experiments with a mutating drug. And lets loose his followers to take over the campus. There's enough of that stuff down there to breed armies of those things. If a god created this world in six days, and I can make hell of it in one night, then God must be dead. And one gifted student, Shelly O'Dean, is forced to battle the professor in a mental struggle for freedom. Who will emerge victorious? 
student or the great biochemist? John Saxon as Hellmaster. Tell me, what do you see? Coming soon from Home Video. Okay, everybody, hold the breath. Here it is. From Dark Force or Code Red, the Dead Pit Blu-ray. Yes! You know, this also, this movie right here, I just did Hellmaster, was also shot in an active insane asylum. Isn't that crazy? Double insane asylum movies. So, this is directed by Brent Leonard from Toledo, Ohio. That's where I'm from. So, shout out to Brent Leonard. He actually went on to do a movie called Feed, which is really crazy. Virtuosity with Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, which is a really cool movie. And The Lawnmower Man, which I haven't seen in years. So, uh... I dig Brett Leonard, um, and plus he's from Toledo, like I said, doesn't hurt. So The Dead Pit, this is a late 80s horror movie that uh, the case always stuck out to me. I had the VHS, I had the DVD, uh, now I have the Blu-ray, okay? Um, I had to have this. You know, again, it's not a perfect movie. Um, it has its charm. It's shot in a nice location for a horror movie. Let's say that right off the bat. It has decent atmosphere, similar to, you know, Hellmaster. So these movies both have that going for it. Um... The plot of this movie is a girl, uh, years years ago, it's it's obviously years ago, there's a doctor performing in medical experiments uh, wrongfully on these people. He's lobotomizing them. He has this weird kind of, you know, satanic almost? I don't really know. Dark, you know, rituals and everything like that. Uh, actor Jeremy Slate stops him from, you know, in the very beginning, and now we're in modern times, enters this girl who has amnesia. She doesn't know what's going on. Uh, she's basically walking around in her underwear the entire time in this insane asylum with dickhead orderlies and supposedly insane people. So you're like, eh, I don't think that would fly. But regardless, it's happening. And it's just to show you some skin. Most people aren't going to complain they're watching a 1989 horror movie about showing some skin. They're probably Half of them are probably watching it just for that. So uh, she starts to have these weird visions and dreams and you realize there's something tied into her past. What is it? She starts to see the doctor who was shot in the head by Jeremy Slate around the facility. People start to disappear. There's a closed wing of the hospital. A lot of the typical stuff of hospital horror, you know. Um, it does have some similarities to Hellraiser 2. I wonder which one actually was made first. 88? I think Hellraiser 2 probably beat it by a year because this might be 89 so it has that going for it as well there's this ridiculous laugh that goes through the t uh, the title card of the movie that happens forced in the movie later on in a dream sequence just ridiculous um there's a couple movies that do that weird laugh over the, like the the thing that's just added and i can't think of the one that up right off the top of my head oh it's hunter's blood hunter's blood has that that laugh that happens throughout the movie too this one does it too so the gore is actually really good in this one when people get killed, when they get melted and everything like that. And the title I love, The Dead Pit. Um, and there is a dead pit in this freaking movie. About an hour and like t into this movie, you realize it's a zombie movie. But you already know by the cover and the back and everything that it's a zombie movie. But when it turns into a zombie movie, it's fun. It has imagery that reminds me of the Beyond when they're, the, they're in their like white robes and they're kind of lunging around. It's like in a hospital. I'm like, this is a lot like the Beyond a little bit. Not as good as the Beyond, but of course. And then there's a nun... Uh, around there and, and then it becomes holy because it's weird like the doctor's performing these experiments right and they're dark and evil but you never i never got the idea maybe the dead pit symbolizes some satanic thing but for some reason uh, it just turns satanic maybe just the nun nun and blessing things that's what basically happens starts to bless water yada yada to fight them but 
just random evil can be hurt by holy water. I thought it had to be satan. I don't know how it works. I am not <laughs> the writer of this movie, but I just like I don't get it. But um, there's nice gore scenes in here. There's some nice some nice moments in here. It is a little long in the tooth. It's like an hour and forty minutes. This is the uncut version, even though it says it's R-rated on the back. Don't worry about it. it's unrated. There's no subtitles. I wanted subtitles. How hard is that, guys? Come on, put the freaking subtitles on it. But um, besides that, there's a couple of the special features ported over. Overall, it has some decent moments in here, some gory moments. I don't dislike it at all. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. One of those ones that I'm like, this isn't a great movie, but you know, it's a first attempt at a director. It's a cheap, low-budget horror movie that's shot in an insane asylum, and it has de decent moments. I would put it a little better than Hellmaster. I would watch it again. I'll probably watch both of them again if I ever get a chance. I, like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm watching them again, but I'm glad to have the dead pit. It supposedly glows in the dark, so hey. Um, yeah, but whatever i'm glad it got a release i know people are fighting uh fighting over getting one but eh, i like it it's an enjoyable movie nothing perfect uh but like i said jeremy slate's interviewed on here too i should mention that because i enjoyed hearing him talk about his career you know being in stuff like devil's brigade and true grit so um it doesn't have all the special features from the double disc dvd ported over but it's got some so the mind a place of infinite mystery when the mind strays, it can become a place of fear. You next. Jane Doe is a victim of amnesia. I can't remember my past. That doesn't make me crazy. Here at State Hospital, they will unlock the doors to her hidden past. I have a terrible sense of danger here. Now, something powerful and terrifying will be released from the dead. When the mind of Jane Doe is opened. Colin Ramsey has come back from the other side of death. A terror long buried rises to life. He's come back for revenge. And he's come for me. Think your last thought. You can't kill me. And only the ones called insane are able to see the truth. Mm. Death is near. You're all going down! The distance between the depths of a damaged mind and the depths of hell is no greater than the thickness of a door. And now the door is open. The dead pit, where man's worst nightmare rises from the dead. Okay, the next one is by Code Red as well, and it is Slaughterhouse Rock. Yeah! Oh, did I mention that Devo's in Weird Science? Well, they are. And uh, they have some relations to this movie as well. So we got two movies involving Devo, two movies involving Insane Asylums this episode kind of weird but slaughterhouse rock is a late 80s horror movie that i've always wanted to see i always i had the vhs for uh for years and i never watched it never was put on dvd so when it hit blu-ray i was like yes we're going to watch slaughterhouse rock um this movie right here okay it starts off with this character i'm gonna put this right on the, on the front 
The only character I enjoyed or actor actress I enjoyed in this movie was Hope Marie Carlton from Ghoulies 3 and a bunch of other stuff. Um, she's in this. And, of course, she gets nude because that's what they always make her do in these movies. But, okay, all the other characters I thought were very lame. I thought their dialogue was lame. I thought the jokes, even the silly, like, comedic characters. I was like, this is these people are not funny. They are weird. They're not acting human. But some people might like that in an 80s horror movie. This one, like, I, I enjoy it in the spookies for some reason. Don't enjoy it in this one. So this guy's having these nightmares that are kind of... And during his nightmares, he's in Alcatraz prison and uh, they have this song playing and it's a pop song that's playing on the radio. So it's almost like they had two gimmicks that they shoehorned. It's like, we got Alcatraz, we're filming in Alcatraz, but we got to mix in some sort of rock and roll music at the same time. How are we going to fit these gimmicks in and make it make sense? I don't know. We, they fit him in, but it doesn't really make any sense. So this guy's having these terrible nightmares where he's kind of being like tortured in Alcatraz prison. Um, his teacher uh, realizes there's something wrong with him, so she convinces them all to go to Alcatraz in the middle of the night on one of their friend's boats. This is, by the way, like 45 minutes into the movie. They make it to Alcatraz. Somebody isn't killed till 50 minutes into the movie, and this is an hour and 25 minute movie. Uh, we hear a lot of exposition by a ghost on the island who is in a band, and the whole band was murdered on the island. We heard that earlier. The ghost kind of calls him there in a certain way we hear a bunch of exposition who this weird creature is on this island he's like a demon kind of ghost possessing people um he possesses somebody on there they go on they rape some people they rape a girl his girlfriend they start to kill people some of the gore effects are decent but uh the atmosphere again is good it's on alcatraz prison it looks good there's fog everything like that they use that decently um it's kind of like Scared Stiff in a little bit, but just not as good as Scared Stiff. And Scared Stiff isn't a perfect movie. It's a fun movie, but it's not great. Um, this one, I was just really was let down by it. Like, the effects are good in there. The gore is good in there. The characters are lackluster. Uh, just ever, overall, it's just like, ah, this is really in bland, and it shouldn't be, unfortunately. Uh, I hate to say that on here. I don't think it looks bad at all. Uh, it looks all right. Uh, they, they did a decent remaster on it. And I'm sure people like this movie. This movie definitely has its fans. I just can't really enjoy it. I, I, I know I'm being real negative. I feel like I'm being real negative on like 80s or early 90s horror movies. This, I mean, that's usually my jam, but I'm being like, maybe I'm just a hater. Maybe I just, maybe I had a bad week, but I don't think so. I don't think Slaughterhouse Rock is very good. Um, I guess people might enjoy the music on there, but it's just, and they try to do an American World in London with a lot of the dead people making jokes and stuff. Some people may dig that. Um, like I said, Hope Marie Carlton's great. I think that's her last name. But um, besides that, I can't really recommend the movie. Uh, there's some interviews on here. I think there's an interview with uh, the cinematographer, and he had a decent, interesting career, and with uh, one of the people from Devo, which is also interesting. And there's a weird introduction with the Banana Man and Devo. But, hey, that's Slaughterhouse Rock. Uh, you may like it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of it. This theory holds that images are really biologically generated manifestations of the subconscious that surround our conscious self. I haven't had a good night's sleep in weeks. I'm so tired, I feel like I have barbecue sauce for blood. Maybe this is just a phase you're going through. Are you worried about anything in particular? Only being locked in a padded cell the rest of my natural life. You're not crazy, so there's got to be a logical explanation for all this. Have you ever had dreams like these? Hell no. Are you okay? What Mangled remains of the group members were discovered outside the main cell block shortly before the boat was scheduled to leave. For some reason, you have been chosen. This is a message of some kind. All I've gotten out of this is a slamming headache, not to mention a shaky stomach. For some reason, Alex is being called to Alcatraz. Excuse me, lady. 
but it's always been my experience is that dreams don't involve so much audience participation. Right. Why now? Why you? And what for? Look, I don't care. I'm sure we can round up a whole heap of people simply by telling them that we found Alex in his bedroom. Alex, things like this don't happen by accident. Oh, Alex. I got a big mess on my hands. That monster that I let loose is indestructible. All those souls are the source of his power, and the only way to destroy him is to set us all free. No problem. Richard! Hey, hey, buddy, come on, Alex. Ah! It's me, yeah. Alex, lie down. His head starts spinning around, I'm out of here. Okay, this next one is a Patreon pick, and it is Judy from Necrostorm. Okay, uh, Necrostorm, you guys remember them? They, they, this director actually did Adam Chaplin. It came out a few years ago, maybe like four or five. Loved Adam Chaplin to death. That movie was awesome. It was unique. I never saw anything like it. It had this weird comic book style, but gore and revenge and intensity and really cool stuff. CGI mixed with practical stuff. Perfect. Judy is the director's uh, follow-up, I guess. This is the only other one he directed. Their company released a bunch of other stuff like Tater City and Hotel Inferno, but this is the one he directed. Judy is a weird movie. It's an Italian movie, and it's low budget, so... This isn't like, it's ADR'd. And back in the day, Italy had this, you know, it was like a science how they ADR'd movies. They did it so well. They, I mean, even though a lot of people be like, the dubbing's off, the dubbing's bad. Well, everybody talked in their native language anyways. Sometimes they got to dub themselves, sometimes they didn't. But there was an art to dubbing. See Barbarian Sound Studio, if you don't believe me. That's kind of based on that. So there was an art to it. This, there was no art to the dubbing. And within the first 15 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, what's going on here? And I don't want to fault the movie completely for that, but the dubbing is terrible because the dialogue's really bad too. She'd be like, I'm going to come over and print some flyers to help you find, help me find my uh, dog. Okay, come over and I'll help you print those flyers to help you find your dog. It's like, why are you doing this? I wish there was a better translator. I wish I could have watched it in Italian with subtitles. Besides that, that's my biggest flaw with the movie is I can't tell if anybody's a terrible actor or not because the dubbing is so poor. It's very distracting. It doesn't match. And the dialogue and dubbing is so poorly done that you're just like awful, awful. But Judy, besides that, I don't have many complaints really about the movie. I was kind of surprised. Um, This movie actually had me looking over my shoulder when I was watching. I was like, I got a little creeped out a couple times in the movie. I'm not going to lie. This is a weird, weird movie. We have these characters that are kind of like mind, like clowns, and they seem to be doing some sort of criminal activity. They're kind of isolated. This girl on her way home from work, uh, she kind of snubs the one leader of the group, this uh, this mime lady who's really weird. She snubs her and uh, drives home, doesn't give her any change or anything like that. And these kind of clowns attack her. They kidnap her dog. They uh, have this weird uh, jamming device with their cell phones so she can't call and everything starts to go a little loopy. So basically it's this woman trying to find her dog before these weird clown people kill her. Uh, and there's this weird trick that they have where this, uh, this I guess it's a jack-in-box from hell with spikes 
in it where I don't know what the hell, but you think the dog's in there because uh, you hear it crying and everything like that. And you don't know if the dog's going to die or not. It's, it's really tense. I really kind of felt sick to my stomach because I want this dog to be safe more than anything else in the movie. Um, the lead actor, the lead character, she's not a very bright character at one point in this movie. She does something so ridiculous that I wanted to like, she thinks somebody might possibly be in her house. So she takes these like sleeping pills and to relax and goes to sleep. I'm like, somebody might be in your house. What are you doing? Um, there's a couple moments in here. The character carries a really gnarly weapon that shoots like nails and everything like that. And it's super gory when they go off. It's like a shotgun blast of a random array of just junk and stuff. And so it blows things to pieces. And it's not as much gore as somebody would expect from Necrostorm, especially the first movie. But there's three particular really nasty gore scenes in here that I was like, oh, wow. But when it's there, it's really gross. This movie is short. It's decent on suspense, although um, the dubbing is very, very distracting. Um, and there is some suspenseful, like creepy moments where I literally were like the something will be in the background and it will creep the hell out of you. And it just also has a weird, it's very sadistic. It's a mean-spirited movie at the same time. Um, I would recommend checking it out. It's not like Adam Chaplin. Uh, watch the trailer. I think that will pretty much let you know if you're going to dig this one. At first I was like, oh, this is terrible. And by the end of it, I was like, I actually really dig this one, to be honest. I don't really dig it. I dug it. I would give it a recommend. Okay, guys, you know what time it is. Time for the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when.
Okay, guys, this one is by J. Lee Thompson, and it is a Charles Bronson movie. It is White Buffalo. Yeah. Oh, J. Lee Thompson, how many times did he direct Bronson? Like eight or nine times. So, okay. Um, Death Wish 4, 10 to Midnight, Assassination, tons and tons of... Uh, so they work together a lot. This is made in the late 70s, I think 76. It has a great cast in it. Um, Charles Bronson plays Wild Bill Hickok, and he's like acid Wild Bill Hickok. He's got these weird sunglasses and a hat and everything. Will Sampson plays um, sitting oh, a crazy horse. So, yes, you got two kind of icons in there. Will Sampson, you know, is from Poltergeist 2, One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest, Outlaw Josie Wales, Orca, which shares some similarities to White Buffalo. Um, also popping up in here is Jack Warden as the one-eyed uh, friend of uh, Charles Bronson, uh, Stuart Whitman, Clint Walker, who else? Ed Larder. Um, there's some more people in here. John Carradine. Uh, yeah, great. Uh, Slim Pickens. Got great cast in here, which you guys know I'm a sucker for these character actors. I love them. And it's got movie star like Charles Bronson. I was all in. I can't believe I didn't watch this before. It was on my list to watch for like actually like 15, 20 years because I was interested in it. This is a weird movie. This is like an acid western. I don't know. Like I've seen weirder westerns like in Greaser's Palace or El Topo or Straight to Hell, but this one is weird and different and unique. And it's PG, but it's violent as hell. They call it like Jaws meets a Western. So, and it is like that. But it reminds me more of Orca in a way, too. Charles Bronson's having these nightmares about this white buffalo. White buffaloes, you know. And in the West, you know, the, the white man killed all the buffalo off and just and left mass graves in there. But he's having nightmares about this white buffalo who's uh, going to attack him. It's like, a, you know, a premonition. And he wants to stop the white buffalo. Meanwhile, Crazy Horse is after this white buffalo because it slaughtered a bunch of people in his village and killed his baby. So, and he, you know, broke down and he was lost his name because he did not act like a man. So both of them are after this white buffalo. Jack Warden pairs up with Charles Bronson because he wants to go after the white buffalo because of the money and everything like that. Bronson and Jack Warden hate Native Americans. It's a time, you know what I mean? It's that time. There's a lot of racism, racism and tension in here with this. Uh, lots of great Western dialogue, too. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy popped in and saw some of this, and he hates it. Um, I'm going to say this. Jeremy always makes a joke. He's like, I can't stand some of the dialogue. It makes no sense. And he always said this line here. And the line, I always say it in my best Slim Pickens impersonation, which I don't know if it's going to work. But he's like, it's got more scruples than a sardine on Ash Wednesday. Yeehaw! And it just cracks me up. And there's a lot of stuff like that in here. Um, and Slim Pickens is in here, too. I wish he would have said it in here. But uh, the scenery is just wonderful. So there, it feels like a lot of it sets and everything like that. It just feels like it's in this dream world. It's like very surreal when they're driving um, the uh, the the buggy or cabin or whatever through the cabin buggy through like the the winter stuff and uh, you know Will Sampson's on the side picking them off and stuff like that and the mountains and everything when they show the flashes of the white buffalo crashing through like the landscape and everything like this the white buffalo is this big animatronic monster love it he's like Orca he's like Jaws so or Bruce it, it's just it's really cool and really unique and different uh, Ed Larder plays Custard so um, Wild Bill Hickok everywhere he goes he has a history with 
everyone he's involved with, you know. So I just love that kind of stuff. Never seen Clint Walker play such an asshole. He usually plays, you know, kind of like he plays Posey in the Dirty Dozen. I, I feel like, you know, he's just kind of like good natured in a lot of ways. This one, he's scary as hell. Uh, it's just really isolated stuff too and there's this weird echo scene where there's this gunfight with all these echoes on the mountain and a big storm's coming in it just adds a layer of weirdness to it I love this movie to be honest you know I gave it three and a half I'd probably bump it up to four just talking about it because it's so cool it's so different uh, and the ending is worthwhile too and you know Bronson and Will Sapson come to this you know agreement and everything uh, I'd really recommend checking this one out there is subtitles on the keynote disc but there's not much else there's a trailer uh, just a unique cool movie and one of Bronson's best, I think, or most different. And he and Will Sampson and him get some good performances out of each other. Um, you know, I don't really think that his performance in Poltergeist 2 and Will Sampson is particularly great because they didn't give him anything to work with. Here, he gets something to work with. Not as juicy as One Public Cuckoo's Nest, but good. And Bronson, too. You know, they both get something to work with. It's got a great cast in here. It's more violent than you would expect. The White Buffalo is awesome and mystic and creepy and symbolizes probably a bunch of different things in here. But one of the best scenes in this movie is Bronson's right riding in on a train and he looks over and there's just a big pile of bones lined up along the train almost as tall and big as the train and he said what's that well that's what uh the all the people cleared out the buffalo in kansas and it's just like oh my god like you put it like that and you're just like that's a lot of dead buffalo but you know i love it i would really recommend checking it out one of the cooler movies i've seen in a while in the year 1874 a great white beast roamed the black hills of dakota it was powerful enough to destroy anyone or anything that stood in its path. It was hated and hunted. It was worshipped and feared. It was the White Buffalo. Now, the creators of King Kong bring another legendary creature to the screen. Dino De Laurentiis presents The White Buffalo. Starring Charles Bronson as Wild Bill Hickok, a man who feared nothing. Again, Bill! Except being afraid. He was haunted by a nightmare which drove him to the brink of madness. The White Buffalo. Will Sampson as Crazy Horse, a proud warrior. Sworn to kill a sacred enemy, the White Buffalo. Also starring Jack Warden, Stuart Whitman, Clint Walker, Slim Pickens, John Carradine, and Kim Novak. This buffalo is mine. That buffalo will belong to the hunter who kills him. A thundering spectacle, a shattering experience. When two legendary enemies join forces to battle the greatest legend of them all. White Buffalo. The serves got nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Hammer time! For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you to go through the mirror of life.
Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, week uh, 10 of Hammer Time, and I just want to let you guys know we're doing this first thing in the morning, so I'm looking like a scrub bum. Scrub bum? I look fine. Scrub bum. That's where we go. Yeah, because you're a night owl. Yeah. You go to work on what? Third shift? This has nothing to do with Hammer. Okay, so regardless, this is uh, week 10, and we're doing The Damned, or aka These Are The Damned. This one was made in 1963, and this is by the same director of X the Unknown. Which oh, makes, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. it makes so much more sense. Yes, yes, it okay. does. And uh, I think this is a major improvement on X the Unknown. Not that uh, X the Unknown is a horrible movie or anything, but this is definitely more of a sci-fi you know, uh, film from uh, Hammer. It stars my man, Oliver Reed. <laughs> he's, he's definitely major supporting in this one. Oh, yeah. And Like I said, this is a science fiction horror movie, and at first... I didn't know what it was going for. I was like, is this in some weird post-apocalyptic world where everybody's different? And, and I didn't know what was going on. I, and then I was like, this is where we're going. And the title, The Damned, makes perfect sense. This is a cash-in on Village of the Damned. <laughs> Which I had never seen. I actually have only seen the remake by Carpenter. I have the Blu-ray of the original and the DVD of the sequel, Children of the Damned. And I've been meaning to watch them. And I've seen them parodied over the years forever. The Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. But, um, yeah, I've always wanted to um, check it out. So I was like, The Damned. And the, if you watch some of the, like, see some of the original posters, you'll re- register how it is like a ripoff. So you immediately think evil kids. And they're not necessarily evil, but they are dangerous. This plot of this movie is super weird. And it, it, it starts out somewhere where you don't expect it to end which could some people could be misconstrued as convoluted in, in times sometimes those movies do end up convoluted but this to me ended up really clever and went places so i'm going to spoil it for you so you guys are knowing where it's going but just if you don't want to just go in blind is probably the best way but for people that have seen it or people that don't care enjoy this review or don't enjoy it um so you we want get me to talk about the movie yes okay yeah uh, do you want me to Give the plot on this one. Can you get the plot? I can give the plot. Okay, on this give one. the plot. Okay, it starts off as kind of one of these gang movies, and it—it's uh, really weird. It almost feels like a '50s gang movie, like a gang from like a beach movie, or the gang from um, uh, How to Stuff a Wild Bikini, where it has Oliver Reed leading these biker guys. He's the only guy dressed in a nice snazzy suit. And his daughter, his sister's in the gang too, and they have this weird incestuous uh, thing going on. Very weird. And Olive Reed's very possessive of her. So she kind of uh, starts to flirt with this old American man who is also a creep. It takes her out on the boat. They start to fight. They are fighting in this like cliffside area. They run into this weird scientific, you know place where everything's off limits there's also a lady who does art next to the place and and she is in a relationship with the guy who runs the scientific organization they break into the scientific organization trying to escape they end up on the side of this cliff and there's these kids that take them in so they don't drown and these kids are being isolated they're part of the scientific program and you find out what's wrong with the kids and everything like that and it gets really really dark yeah so, um, yeah, so it's like the first Hammer movie we've seen in a couple of weeks. It was actually like contemporary to the time it was made in. Yes, yes, that um, very rarely happens. You know, I, like we had what? We had Quatermass. Uh, Quatermass. Quatermass, um, XV Unknown, Second Quatermass, and uh, maybe The Abominable Snowman. <laughs> I have no idea. What that, it was such an, in a weird country that mm-hmm. I don't know anything about. I'm like, I don't know. I don't right. know the date on this movie. Um, <laughs> and this one is in the vein of, like, the Cater Mask, the XV Unknown. Yeah. Like, and, um, uh, sci- it's... Science fiction horror. Pure science fiction. But it, P- starts, it starts without, like, a, a, I guess they would call them hoodie movies now, but, like, a gang yeah. movie. A yeah, gang it's movie. a gang movie. I mean, At it first. opens up, there's, like, a song that everybody's singing. Yes, what, what is the song? I can't, it's so it's, it's, like, it's like, like, 
We're in a biker gang. I don't know. I don't know. And they do this though, like we drive the bikes, crash, 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 kill, 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 black something. Black I don't leather, know. black leather. Black leather. Yeah, yeah. Black leather, black leather. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Black leather, black leather. Kill, kill, kill. Something like that. Yeah, it's really yeah. cheesy and weird. Yeah, and like it's like a like a light motif of a whole film. Yeah. Um, it, so like different characters are whistling it throughout the the piece. Um, so it's one of these things where it introduces kind of like like three or four characters that kind of like they all have their own story and it starts to come together at the end and you see why um so it's um again it's what's the word i'm thinking of it doesn't it's with Cater Mass and Next the Unknown, it didn't feel like a British movie to me, even though I know it was set in yeah, yeah. the UK. This one feels more Britain to me. It does feel more British. Well, but they definitely it, try to um, make the Americans feel more acceptable, the United States movie audience, because the lead, one of the leads is American. Is American, yeah. But, you know, and I think it's because the whole nuclear holocaust scare thing, to me, is like 50s America. So when I see it in a movie, I, I just think it's American. <laughs> but almost for years, up until the 80s, even the X-Men in the 90s were still doing the government experimental. Oh, yeah. It's still to this day. Even Return mm-hmm. of the Living Dead, everything. Every, everything. Every, almost 90% of our like horror science fiction movies are like, the government's trying to create a secret weapon and something went wrong. Horribly wrong. When will we learn? <laughs> but see, see, this one, though, this one isn't necessarily anything going horribly wrong. This is, and I don't know if we can give it away... But um, I think that we're going to go deep into this one, so spoilers. Uh, so we're, everything else here on out will be spoilers in this. Okay. But, uh, before spoilers, I want to say one thing. If you're an Oliver Reed fan, um, he did a movie called The Hunting Party where he is playing a cowboy. And he's good in it, but his accent is not perfect for a cowboy. Um, and this, he mimics the American at one point, and he does the same voice. He's like, oh, I'm a big American. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I've seen him do other American voices, and they're good. But for some reason, in the '60s and '70s, early the one those ones, Hunting Party, and this one, they weren't perfect. But he's he's making fun of somebody in this one, so it yeah, works, but. it kind of makes sense. And um, the thing about Oliver Reed in this movie is he's a very complicated, troubled character, and he's not exactly a good person. In fact, the three leads aren't good people; they're really no. kind of gray characters and weird and all troubled in their own way. Especially Oliver Reed. This is a haunted character. Oh, yeah. Well, I think every main character beyond the yep. children are kind of flawed in ways. Aside from maybe the artist. Yeah, but, but you I, know, I, I and, and, and her, 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 her uh, boyfriend, the guy who's in the military, he's really flawed. Oh, he's messed up. <clears throat> and the, the thing is, the title, aka this was called These Are the Damned. Who's the damned? It's like it's like the thing where everybody's everyone. like everyone, the damn. It's like <laughs> the Walking Dead's like the real Walking Dead are the people. Well, that yeah. show sucks. Get it out of here. I'm just kidding. I'm, I, I'm not trying to make. I know a lot of people. The love most it. evil but, animal is mankind. No, but I like oh. the title here, the damn. Yeah, like, these are the everybody here's like, damn. <laughs> it's like even if they end up surviving at the end or living, I think the ones who end up living are even more damned. Right. So the. <coughs> All right, spoilers up. Yeah, so so spoilers. So um, so the government. This isn't a a government or science getting out of hand. This is the experiment that's going on in this movie. Is when the nuclear holocaust finally happens. This is our key to survival. This is like the vault that's going to open on a brave new world yes and what happens is the kids that are in this cave there's about nine of them and one had died similar to village of the damned Mm -hmm. um they're radioactive 
and they're just sweet little kids and they're being isolated kind of like the girl with all the gifts and being taught you know how to you know communicate and everything like that in fact the girl with all the gifts has a lot of similarities to this movie where they're isolated and they are they're carriers they're kind of zombies and if blood gets them they're normal kids until blood gets around them then they freak out and turn to zombies this one's different that these are normal kids that don't know they're dangerous which is even more horrible because these people are in this cave and the government can't go in to get them out, but at the same time, they don't want to have the kids exposed to outside sources manipulating their brains because these kids are the final, you know, survival during if nuclear war happens with the Ruskies. Right. Um, then these kids will be able to survive the fallout. And they, they're they highly radioactive, and they talk about this thing where they were like, a bunny was brought into it, and they're like, the bunny will get sick just if you don't let the people out. Just like they'll they'll get sick too. So like, um, they're all starting to get little like a little sick. And Oliver Reed at first is just like a dick. He's like really mean. Like the kid saves his life and he's like, get off me! I don't want to. But then eventually he even starts to feel bad. There's a I I gotta spoil the end of this movie when like there's an escape and Oliver Reed is in his his car driving and one of the little kids is like I want to come with you. He's like and he's like go 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 and the kid gets into the car anyways. And he's like, can't you see your poison? You're killing me! You're killing me! And he freaks out. But it's really, it's kind of sad. I feel bad for the kids, too. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and they, they can't let the kids out. I mean, if something were to happen, if, like, if they were to perish, because kids are fragile. And, like, you know, if they were to get killed, you know, you wouldn't have the people in the cave. I mean... Well, also, on top of that, the kids can't be around other people to kill them. No. They're radioactive. No. And, and, like... They're cold, it? too. Yeah, they're cold. They're dead. And, and that's the they're first thing that they notice is like when the people do fall into the cave, they're like, oh, you're warm. Like, I've never touched a warm thing before. Besides the bunny. Besides the bunny. And whose hair all fell on, he went to sleep, as I think there is a, uh, a subplot with the uh, director of this experiment and his love interest, the artist. Who lives right by the area and she's like making all these art things. And she gets involved too. Right. She, she, she gets somewhat involved. Essentially, she's like, you know, she, she's dating the guy, the military guy, and, or the government guy, and he's like, I'm a public servant. I have my secrets. And she's like, but you won't tell them to me. Like, my secrets... You know, in my art, like, like they're out in the open. They're out to be interpreted, interpreted and, and I'll tell you what they are if you ask. And, you know, there's, like, this, like, love tension. And she rents the house from him to do her work by the shore. Um, well, they want to keep that house with somebody they can kind of control. Right. And at the very end, it's so dark. I was like, wow, I didn't think it was going to go there. I did not think it was going to go there. It, that kind of startled me. And you know, I don't want to give away that part. It does end in the same way that, you know, at the end of Zombie, remember when they get away from the island and they're sitting in the boat mm-hmm. and like they play the like, the radio and they realize the whole world's come to an end. It's not that kind of ending, but at the end, um, they're, the two are on the boat and they're like, who cares? Let them go. Because yeah. like how it works like that, it doesn't matter. And you're just mm-hmm. like, ah. You know, but, um, so, like, essentially, like, eventually, the, the, the artist, she finds out what's going, and she finds about the children, she's like, you can't do this, this is cruel, and the director spills this whole thing, like, look, this, this event's going to happen, this apocalypse is going to happen, this is our only hope, like, this is what we have to do to ensure the future of mankind, and she kind of, like, has this epiphany, and... She says like this like beautiful line and like it like really struck me. She was like, "What I do know is that you are wasting what little time I have left." And I just thought that was just so poignant because, like, this man is, obs- like, she's obsessed with her art and her time in, in creating, and this man is 
like she's obsessed with the present and the man that she's in love with is obsessed with the future that he's not going to be a part of. And I just thought that was a really cool dichotomy between the two, um, between the artist and the, um, the military. military guy. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's a good movie. It's, oh, it's really so good. good. It's well acted. Uh, I think I, I like Oliver Reed's performance in the movie. I Oliver Reed is amazing. <laughs> That's so weird he's in that suit and everybody else is in the leather. The whole like uh, gang thing, I was like, what, is this going to be like a revenge gang movie thing? Because the cover would suggest it and everything right. like that. But no, it's way different than that. And uh, probably one of the best Hammer Bunch. And it's funny that I'm like not giving like the love to like Dracula and everything right. that everybody know, else. Right? But I'm like, you got to watch Quatermass 2 <laughs> with the, the damned. <laughs> like, uh, I've always been like a fan of what I've seen. Like, I, I think this is one of my favorite ones. Um, Same. And it, it's a slow start, I yeah. think. I think it is, too. I mean, and at mm. first you're like, what is going on? Black leather, black leather. Yeah, black like, leather. you, you don't like, know what's going on. And they introduce most, like, all the adult characters relatively quick. And it's like, okay, this is going to be like a murder mystery. And it's black and white, too. I, yeah, and that's yeah. one of those things where it's like, I see it, I know it's in black and white. And then, like, when I go to remember, I'm like... It doesn't, I like remember. I said, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, bother me. After you hit a certain age and watch so many movies, like, if you're still hung up on the black and white thing, it's just like, eh, maybe like, movies aren't for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's you're, terrible you're really, black and white films. Yeah, there's terrible everything movies. Right. Don't, you should never limit yourself to, I agree. like, black and white or mm-hmm. silent or anything. I'm bad with silent movies. I haven't seen enough, but it's not like I wouldn't watch them. Right. It's just that I haven't, you know, had the time or been exposed to as many as I should. Because so. silent movies, I mean, those tend to be, like, three hours long, I feel. Mm. I don't know about that. Probably even shorter. Some of them. Some of you know, them. I see. I see mostly Fritz Lang, so yeah, I can't yeah. really comment. But yeah, Fritz Lang movies are always long. Yeah, like, like epics. The Nibelungen, uh, Metropolis. I've seen Metropolis. Still need to watch M. M and Nibelungen, and there was another one. Oh, I'm sure he's done a few more. Who did Caligari? You mean Caligula? No, who did Caligula? Uh, the Cabinet of? Oh, that's not Fritz Lang. That's not. Fritz I, Lang. I don't think so. I want to watch that too. But uh, I'm, we're, before we're, we embarrass family. ourselves, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about Caligula. No, what? <laughs> no Caligula. We'll we should make that. the cabinet of Dr. Caligula. Caligula's not Hammer, is it? No, stop. I don't know what's Hammer. Are I'm you not, serious right I'm now? only stop, here. Stop. The guy from, um, the guy from frickin', um, what's that porn magazine that's not Playboy? The one that was a little bit more, uh, extreme. Hustler? Jugs. Maybe it was Hustler. The guy from Hustler or whatever, one of the porn mags produced Caligula. Okay. Alright. <laughs> okay. Um, so... And it was directed by Tino Brass, who was like, you know, never mind. We're not going to go talk about Caligula anymore. <laughs> but regardless, um, I love this one. I think mm-hmm. this is one of the best ones. Unfortunately, it's not in the book. And I, I got it. Come on, John Stanley. I can see um, the tear on tape because maybe it wasn't released on tape in the States. And it's also not really a horror movie. It's more of a science fiction movie. Um, but in reality, man, this is right up John Stanley's alley. It should have been on there. And I'm sure a lot of people were like, hey, it's a village of the damn ripoff. Who cares? It's a tired old uh, thing with the nuclear war metaphors. And, you know, I like that stuff. I think this is one of the most entertaining ones. I think it goes to places I didn't expect it to go. Mm-hmm. It's dark. It's well acted. Uh, it has characters that are complex and morally not really that great. Um, I don't, the lead, you know, it's funny as like, I know you're not supposed to like, like the, the American, I don't care for it. So it's like this, like, he's like later on when he interacts with the kids, he's better because he's good to the kids. They all are pretty good to the kids, even though Oliver Reed's kind of a prick, but he, when he deals with the kids, he becomes more likable. But when he's dealing with, uh, Oliver Reed's sister, 
I can't think of her name in the movie. Um, she's really weird too. Yeah. Like she, she's like almost like flirts with uh, the American just to upset her brother. Like, and she doesn't really want to go with the American. And then he's like, "Oh, I got it." He's like an older guy. He's like. I don't know. He he's reminds like me of like 20 a twenty or thirty years. Yes, older he's than like fifty five, yeah. and she's like twenty, and he's just like, "Oh, I'm getting me some of that." It's just like, I know it's a different time and place, and it's a legal age, but at the point, he's like this weird American that's coming on a boat and like, "Oh, and I got a boat. I'm a sixty year old playboy." He's just, and it's not the type of person I would like. You know what right. I mean? So he's like a lame Gregory Peck. That's how he looks too. He's like, <laughs> if Gregory Peck was a Gregory Peck was a wimp. I mean, he's not a bad actor, don't get me wrong, and I'm sure he's been in a bunch of stuff, but it's just at the same point, you're like, get out of here. They'll like him. But um, uh, he's he's intriguing character as well. They all are. They all mm-hmm. are. And I wanted to mention this. It's like that weird thing, like, when they write movies where it's like the 60-year-old man who's like, what's more realistic or annoying is like the 60-year-old man who's hunting like the young girl who refuses to let her go, or the 60-year-old man that doesn't want the girl, but the girl wants him, and he's like trying to fight it. This is like some weird male fantasy where it's like, that's not going to happen. It's like, I didn't want to date the 20-year-old girl, but I just couldn't help it. She was in love with me. It's like, stop it. That's, stop. Like, that's <laughs> not a Bronson and John Wayne thing, I feel. No. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but, <laughs> but even John Wayne later in his career. Yeah, he what stopped was, doing Yeah, it. like he wouldn't date the girl that wasn't in, in the movies. Like, like, what maybe was, Rio Bravo, but what was the one he did, refused? Like, it was that was like, comedy. That, right? It was Brannigan. Brannigan, well, It was like the young yeah. girl, but they had like a daughter-father relationship. Right. Like, they were at least, I guess, woke enough. Like, it's not that I'm offended by this kind of stuff or I'm like mad about it. It's just like silly. It just takes you it's out. Silly. Right? Like, yeah. What's going on? But um, this guy is way less um, appealing than someone like John Wayne or Charles Bronson. Let's right. The, you know what I mean? I can't comment because... It, I mean, no, but you can see, like... <laughs> no, he, he is. is. He yeah, is. I mean, like, these right. are movie stars. This like, guy is, like... Like I said, weak Gregory Peck. Right. Wayne and Bronson have, like, charisma. They have screen presence. They have screen presence. This guy's, like... Well, it's also his character in this. It is his character. I mean, yeah. he's... He's kind of too. a pushover, yeah. yeah. He's not I even... Think. Yeah, he gets beat up right in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, regardless, um, it's not in either of the books. I would rate this 8.5 out of 10. Loved it. The, I, I like. I'm going to put this right below Catermas too. Um, did I give that a five? I think I gave that a five. I think maybe four and a half. Four and a half. Maybe I don't know. I this is high, and I don't know. Like this, the stuff, the the science fiction stuff really resonates to me because it's the closest I know to understand what could potentially happen. And it's not science fiction in the sense of like the possibilities. I don't know. It's very real. I mean, like the the threat of like like nuclear annihilation. It's like like you know, it's entirely possible today. Maybe not so much for children coming, but yeah. like you know, it, it resonates with you because it's real world. It's real dilemmas, and I don't know. I'd say, yeah, right right after Catermass. So if I get that a five, I get this one a four point nine. Four point nine. We can do that. I guess you can do whatever you want. Spring yeah. country. Yeah, it, it is exactly one tenth below Catermass two. <laughs> I don't think he gave Catermass. I think he gave it a nine, nine and a half. Regardless, yeah. <laughs> um, next week is Kiss of the Vampire, which I have not seen, um, and I believe this is uh, um, unrelated to Dracula altogether. So it's the first Hammer movie that's not related to Dracula. So that's pretty cool. No, um, it's the first vampire movie. 
Yeah, yeah, the first vampire movie, not first hammer. Movie. The first vam- <laughs> hammer vamp. It's the first. What the hammer. hell have we been watching? First hammer vampire movie, not related to Dracula. There we go. So, uh, black leather, black leather, <laughs> crash, crash, crash. Um, uh, let's roll that trailer. Love it. Black leather, smash, smash, smash. Black leather, black leather, crash, crash, crash. Black leather, black leather, kill, kill, kill. I got that feeling. Black leather rock. Animals dressed as human beings. Smash, smash, smash. A game for the wild ones, played with the passion of the damn. Jump! Don't ever do that again, Joni. I'll do what I like, King. Do you think I'll let a man put his dirty hands on you? People fleeing for their lives, leaving one hell for another. Escaping from what? From whom? What goes on behind these barbed wires? Who and what do these ferocious dogs guard? And who are these children? Where do they come from? To whom do they belong? Before you get yourself excited, King, touch the little boy's face. He's dead. He's dead, I tell you! Fear so real that you can touch it. Terror so sinister that it makes the flesh creep. These are the people who become one with the damned. The rich American on an English vacation. The beautiful girl, decoy for a gang of thugs, more sinned against than sinning. The Swedish artist, who chiseled strange shapes out of stone. And the scientist with a secret, who fought the shape of things to come. I hate your secrets, Bernard. If I were to tell you even a little bit about what you call my secrets, I might be condemning you to death. Why are you doing this? What's it all for? What are you trying to make out of these children? Answer me. Will you answer me? Okay, guys, I'm again off my phone because I did not buy ink in time. So we're going to go to the questions. Nick Mua, do you think horror can work in the, in the animated format? Yes, I do think it can work in the animated format. Um, I just don't, I, I don't really can't elaborate, but I think horror can work in any format. Um, would you ever make an animated shorter feature or lend your voice to one? Of course, I would love that. That would be great. And it would be easy, especially if it was a, a paid thing. It would be an easy payday. Not easy. I don't want to like say that voice actors aren't good, but you know, I usually get stuck in doing a lot of physical stuff like, you know, in, in outfits and masks and doing a lot of crazy things. So that would be refreshing and fun. Uh, weapon of choice during the zombie apocalypse. Or would you just try to cure them with the power of love? Uh, probably not uh, option B there. I would think that an aluminum baseball bat would be totally underrated. A crossbow would also be fun. But, you know, if I'm up somewhere high and I don't have to worry about being attacked, um, I would probably go for a gun that exploded a lot of things. 
James Grimmer, are there any movies that you feel are deserving of a Criterion release? Um, do you have any predictions for Spine a Thousand? I don't. Uh, it's got to be a box set. Um, I would like to see The Wild Bunch get a Criterion release. To be honest, I love that movie. Uh, maybe pe- uh, just some Peck and Paw would be cool. I know that Straw Dogs got it. I think Wild Bunch is a better movie. Um, oh, geez, a thousand. It's a box set. It's going to be a box set. Um, I would love Dawn of the Dead Martin to get a Criterion release over here. That would be awesome. Um, maybe it will be a John Waters box set. I don't know. I don't know. Then what? Uh, Ilk Vomit. Uh, I'm all in for Greek mythology time with Jeremy. Does he have a YouTube channel? Tell him to hop on that quick. No, he does not. I'll try. I'll talk to him. I'll ask him. And then we have some answers about what are the most the must buy Criterion releases. That was a question I asked. Jason Willard, uh, Seven Samurai, Godzilla, Night of the Living Dead. Oh yeah. See through negligees. Um, the Eric uh, Romer box. Igmar Bergman and Lone Wolf and Cub. He said 32 films in the Bergman. Oh, he, he said on the, the Romer box, also my favorite design on Criterion. In the Bergman, 32 films. I only bought one item from the last Barnes and, Nab- Barnes and Noble sale, and it was that one. And uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, cool, cooler, coolest. Lone Wolf and Cub box. Matt Brown, most must-own Criterion is Eating Raul, Brazil, Seven Samurai, Haxon, and Salo. Uh, That's some brutal movies right there, right? I love Eating Raul. Uh... Swing on this. That's <laughs> he throws it in the hot tub. I love that so much. Um, Paul Paul Bartel and Mary Warnoff are, are wonderful. Brazil's a great movie too, and Seven Samurai. I haven't seen Haxon, and Salo is you know Salo. Uh, Mad ass Seven Samurai is the Criterion, and then we have Paul Weichel. As for my Criterion picks, I would go with Equinox and Naked Prey. I still need both of those. I think I have Equinox on DVD. I wanted to see Naked Prey for years, being a precursor to the cannibal movies and everything I've heard. Uh, Elk Vomit, must-own Criterion for me, is the yet unannounced but highly speculated Godzilla set focusing on the Showa era of the series. Big Wazoo, must-own Criterion for me, is the Four Feathers, great adventure film with some good battle sequences that actually involve some people who fought in the real battles back in the late 1800s. 81 Oak Ridge, The Silence of the Lambs, Criterion is gorgeous and the picture quality is outstanding. Also, classic De Palma blowout. The Criterion Blue looks amazing and the features are awesome. Then we have Tempo Tapas. They're older movies, but two suggested Criterion must-haves are The 400 Blows and The Third Man. Um, D Boogie 86. Criterion must-buys for myself would be The Friends of Eddie Coyle, Hedwig and the Angry Itch, Akira Kurosawa's Dreams, and of course, Godzilla. Uh, Chris Rivers, top Criterion pickup has to be The Phantom Carriage. I know you said a couple of videos ago back that you wanted to check it out. Perfect opportunity. Nick Wool, if you're going to uh, go Criterion, pick The Innocence. The people over at Criterion restored this creepy classic beautifully. The special features are impressive and immersive. This is the definite uh, version for sure. James Grimmer, uh, there are a lot of Criterion releases that are worth owning, but I would go with Fantastic Planet, uh, Kawadian. Um, you know, guys, I'm terrible with that. I know the movie, I just can't say it, apparently. Slacker and The Spirit of the Beehive, to name a few. Those are all quality movies that you'll be glad you bought. Peter Engelin. Um, I just started collecting Criterion since they also released in the UK. I got a few titles which are a must-have. Uh, Detour, Diabolique, uh, Lord of Flies, Carnival of Souls, Doctor Strangelove, Night of the Living Dead, Roman Polanski's Macbeth. And the three highly anticipated I have in pre-order, Kiss Me Deadly, and two Sam Fuller classics, Shot Quarter and Naked Kissed. And I'm going to read this because Tim Hayes, uh, we talked about the Phantom of the Opera uh, last week, and Tim Hayes 
let some insight on it. So, um, Tim Hayes, the Hammer Phantom of the Opera is essentially a remake of a remake. Universal Pictures ad adapted the original French novel in 1925 silent movie starring Long Cheney Sr. Then in 1943, remade the film in Technicolor, but changed it to where the Phantom wasn't born disfigured, but became disfigured after getting acid thrown in his face. It's an accident that it happened to him in the 1962 Hammer film, whereas the 1943 remake, he strangled the music publisher to death. The publisher's wife had a tray of acid used to publish and print sheet music. She threw it in his face out of revenge for her husband's murder. So the 1925 film, he's a madman from beginning to end. 1943, he goes mad after getting paranoid and pissy that a music publisher possibly stole his concerto. 1962 film, he's completely sympathetic of a character. He's a complete sympathetic character. So yeah, that's a little bit insight on my screw-ups from last week. But I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First... Uh, Amazon had this pretty cheap. This is the remake of The Evil Dead, but this has the theatrical and unrated versions of the film on there. Uh, I wanted to check out the unrated version. I thought this was pretty decent of a remake. Didn't love it. Definitely didn't hate it. Um, and I'm curious to check out the uh, the uh, unrated for sure. Um, some of that stuff from the trailer, I think, will be in here that wasn't in the theatrical. I haven't seen it since the theater, to be honest. And then we have one from uh, Scream Factory, uh, Strays. I reviewed this um, for my VHS Voyage. Um, it's decent. It's not great. Got a good price on it. They say cats have nine lives. Will one of them be yours? Oh, burn. Sick burn, Strays. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this movie's decent. Not perfect. Um, then we have some Vinegar Syndrome. We have Play Dead. Um, I think this was originally a trauma one. Got a nice little slip cover on there. It may be the last thing you do. Come on, bro. Uh, I'm just kidding, guys. But yeah, I love these taglines on here. This one looks fun. I like killer animal movies. I'm a sucker for that stuff. Um, I used to love them until they start stopped being actual animals, and then I just lost, or animatronics, and then I lost interest. Uh, the Pink Ladies, I actually don't know much about this one. But it stars Vanessa Del Rio. This is definitely a porno. <laughs> I need to check out some of the Vinegar Syndrome pornos. I don't, uh, you know, from the 70s and 80s, I, I will watch them because they have plots. Um, you know, watch, see, like, it's so weird. Like, those ones to me aren't like porn porn, you know, if that makes sense to anybody. And then we have, what is this? Uh, mascara. Yeah, I didn't even know the name for a second right there. Yeah. So, again, some uh, sexy time movies. And then we're going to hop into some Criterions. We got Funny Games by Michael Haneke. I've never saw this. I don't think I've ever seen a Haneke movie. I've never saw the remake or anything. So definitely something that I need to see. See, I'm trying to rectify a lot of mistakes I've made in my life. <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth. I love this movie. I love Del Toro. So yeah, I wanted the Criterion. I didn't buy the set because I already had uh, Kronos. So, you know, whatever. And then we have two John Waters movies, Female Trouble. I haven't seen as many John Waters as I'd like to. It's a weak spot, I know. But I've seen a couple and I enjoy what I see. I'm going to grab all the Criterions when they release Female Trouble with Divine. And then we have Multiple Maniacs by John Waters with Divine. So, yeah. Look forward to checking those out. I hope I got some good ones. I was going to buy more Criterions this week, but with Kino sale coming up, I don't know what I'm going to do. All right. You guys know. Thank you very much for watching. As always, have a good one.